a new hauling. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to this episode of Fast Line Fast Track, and we thank you for joining us this week as we celebrate our nation's 243rd birthday. On this episode, we're in Kentucky to talk hemp production with U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. We'll also head to Manning, Iowa to visit with officials from Puck Enterprises on that company's 40th anniversary. And then, what's more American than bluegrass music? We'll hear from one of the genre's true greats, Gary Brewer. You won't want to miss a moment of it. Let's go. First up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue traveled to Louisville, Kentucky July 2nd to join U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Kentucky Ag Secretary Ryan Quarles to tour Commonwealth Extracts, a hemp and botanical extracts company, and to hold a roundtable discussion with hemp farmers and other hemp industry officials to listen to their concerns and let them know their voices are being heard on the matter. Following the event, Perdue, McConnell, and Quarles held a brief news conference to talk about the issue. I want to bring you a few clips from that event and then we'll talk with a couple people who participated in the roundtable discussion. First up, McConnell talked about what he hoped to gain from the discussion. What we've been discussing here today is the final stages of getting us where we need to be. If you're a football fan, and I mentioned football because our guest today was a walk-on on the University of Georgia football team. I don't know what they were like in those days. They're awfully good these days, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, we're in the red zone. In other words, we're close to the goal line, but we have some residual issues, some lending issues that the big banks are related to credit cards uh, need to be convinced, uh, and we hope to explain it to them that the law is pretty clear. This is a legal product. Uh, Commissioner Quarles is working on EPA with some uh, pesticide issues. We have crop insurance issues that the Secretary is going to resolve by the 2020 uh, growing season. And we need some guidance from FDA. But in spite of all that, we have around us here the pioneers uh, that are blasting straight ahead, who just explained how this is already a, a terrific business. And as Commissioner Quarles pointed out, uh, already growing it or having people involved in this in one way or another in 101 of 120 counties reminds me of where tobacco was when I went to the Senate. We grow at least we were growing at least some of it in 119 of 120 counties. The number of people involved in tobacco production has declined dramatically, but there are a lot of young uh, farmers and processors here who are excited about this, and we're glad to be in the lead. Next, Secretary Purdue talked about his takeaways from the roundtable discussion. Obviously, to uh to listen to uh, the challenges and opportunities in this burgeoning crop. Uh, I told Leader McConnell he had really created a lot of interest all across the country uh, in this product and in this crop, and due to the economic stress of agriculture, conventional agriculture, we are hopeful it will be uh, the real bonanza in so many products, uh, both in, in many, many different sectors and in the industrial use of hemp. Obviously, it's a chicken and egg situation when you move 
from a crop that had been prohibited uh, to the legalization under Lita McConnell's efforts, then you've got uh, a regulatory framework that you have to develop not only in USDA, not only in the states, but also with other federal agencies, as Leader McConnell mentioned, whether it be EPA, FDA, DEA, and other types of things over transportation and other types of handling of the crop. So that's why we're here, to come talk with these pioneers who are forging ahead, breaking new ground in this crop, to understand what the issues they're facing and how we can be part of creating a regulatory framework that will allow them to succeed as we go forward. Purdue listened intently to the feedback of the hemp producers and others who attended the event. What I heard is a lot of optimism regarding the opportunities, but also uh, challenges going forward, challenges versus a standardization of regulations across the country over states being somewhat equal in the level playing field between that. We heard of the need from producers to have modern farming techniques to help them produce a, a safe, quality, healthy crop. We heard about transportation issues. We heard about financial transaction issues where this new crop is, uh, again, kind of uh, conflated with its illegal cousin in many states being uh, uh, cannabis. And uh, the financial industry has to accept that this is a legal crop. We heard about, uh, again, the, the transportation of extract that is prohibited currently right now. So we've got some uh, logistical issues over moving product back and forth that makes sense for a, uh, for a modern, efficient supply chain crop going into the various sectors, be it food, be it CBD oil, be it the uh, fiber industry, and the products that that can create. So I think what I heard was a lot of opportunity, but a lot of challenges, needing a federal framework to help guide the progress of this crop. Kentucky Ag Secretary Ryan Quarles then talked about the opportunities hemp presents for his state. Well, last year, $18 million was paid to Kentucky farmers when we had about 211 farmers growing it. Uh, this year, we've approved close to 60,000 acres to be attempted in Kentucky. And of that, we can expect sometimes 200, 300, in some cases 500% growth in different categories of the crop. And so we'll have an economic analysis after the 2019 grow year. But what we do know is that there's over 500 new jobs in Kentucky that exist today that didn't exist just a few years ago because we chose to lead. We're building the economy. And in some cases, people who used to grow tobacco are now growing hemp. In many cases, they're still growing both crops. And so although we don't have as much hard data for you to share at this point, we do know that the opportunity is somewhat boundless right now. And I'm so proud that if any state's going to capture the economic development potential of hemp, it's going to be Kentucky, its natural home. McConnell then put Kentucky's position and opportunities into further perspective. In 1997, before the tobacco buyout, there were 46,000 tobacco growers. In 2017, 20 years later, post-buyout, there were 2,600. So the number of people involved in tobacco production has shrunk post-buyout dramatically. Many of the people we talk to today are growing both tobacco and hemp. But the number of people involved in it has shrunk dramatically. And as Commissioner Quarles pointed out, we've now got some hemp activity in 101 of 120 counties. So I think that shows you there's a lot of interest. We don't know if this will be the next tobacco or not, 
but a whole lot of interest. And as the secretary pointed out, we're the lead here. He, he mentioned in our other meeting that when other commissioners of agriculture call him about this, he said, call, call Ryan Quarles. He knows more about it than anybody else. So my first guest this week is the host of the event, John Taylor, who's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Commonwealth Extracts, which uses an environmentally friendly CO2 extraction process to produce distillates, isolates, and raw hemp extracts for various CBD products. John, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, great, great to have you here today. It's not every day you, you get such high power from Washington, D.C. coming in here, and I think that really shows the, uh, the importance of the uh, industry that you're in here. Yeah. It's uh, without the leadership's embracement of this subject, we wouldn't have a company and we wouldn't be able to uh, grow in the way that we have in the last couple of years. So you guys started out in 2014. Explain to our listeners a bit about the company. Uh, I formed Commonwealth Extracts in 2014 with the passage of the Farm Bill. I had the unfortunate experience of learning with seizures in my personal life in 2010 on how to make CBD oil, and I actually found a solution in Oregon, and I went from having a seizure every two or three weeks to I've had four events in 10 years. So I had a little bit of knowledge prior to the passage of the Farm Bill. We were just lucky to be able to turn that those lemons into lemonade uh, in this program. And you've done that in pretty short order. It's been a remarkable run. We had a proof of concept facility in 2014, and then we moved into the facility that we're in now, which is about 90,000 square feet about two years ago. And the industry has become quite progressive over the last two or three years especially, but there's a surprising amount of work to go in terms of people not understanding regulations or gray areas or so forth. Were you encouraged by what you heard uh, from Senator McConnell and uh, the Secretary? today? Very much so. Uh, they are listening to the real challenges facing our farmers, our processors, and our retailers, and I think they've got a good takeaway as far as what they need to do to implement a federal framework for which the states can operate by. From where you sit every day, what are some of the key issues that, that still need to be addressed? We need some clarification on transportation of raw materials from among processors, and we also need a standardization of analytical testing that each state can follow by. Do you feel like what the guidance that they will put out prior to the 2020 growing season will, will go far enough to do that? It depends. Um, I think some of the what needs to be done is simple as Leader McConnell writing a letter to the DEA, for example, uh, some of the financial institutions, they're just going to make their own decision by their shareholders and, and at their own pace. So, you know, the government is one thing, and then private industry reacting to those new regulations is another one. So, um, again, I'm optimistic. Most of the last two years have been very exciting because things seem to be accelerating. The first three years, it was... Um, hard to stay motivated because it took so much time to get things in place and it seems like every day we're getting a little bit more headway and we're getting a little bit fewer a few more doors are opening so it's it's getting progressively easier it's by no means easy now uh, i had heard senator mcconnell today kind of refer to where we are in this stage uh, as uh, similar to what was going on in the tobacco industry when he came into the senate while that may be somewhat true, it is such a vastly different industry in that you are also providing products for consumer goods, health and nutritional uh, value. Um, how do you make consumers and regulators understand that? Well, it's just going to take a lot of education. There is a lot of misperceptions in the marketplace. And unlike tobacco, I think the health benefits of hemp 
are much, much clearer. Uh, not to mention the food side where you have higher omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. On the CBD side, there's a possibility of some health applications and clearing up some um, terminal conditions that people have. And while we don't make claims, I think CBD is proving itself that I don't think we would be in business if it was a hoax. Sure. So if people want to know more about Commonwealth Extracts, where can they go? Uh, we have a website, www.commonwealthextracts.com, and you can find out all the information about our company on that site. Excellent. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast, on Fast Track, and uh, we'd love to have you back as uh, things start to play out here and there becomes more clarity in the industry. Well, we'd love to have you here, and we appreciate you coming out to see us today. And my next guest on Fast Line Fast Track is Tony Brannon, the Dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. Earlier this year, Murray State opened the Center for Agricultural Hemp, which positions the school as a leader in research, education, policy, and innovation within the hemp industry. Tony, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now he, he was involved in the meeting uh, with uh, Senator Perdue and also with uh, Senator McConnell. And uh, what was your biggest takeaway for, from that roundtable? Well, coordination. And uh, as I commonly say, we're building this industry on the ground and going to stand it up. And it really does start with the ground. It starts with putting the crop in the ground. It's a good opportunity for farmers. So we heard many of the challenges that farmers are, are relating. And really, interagency cooperation is going to be the key here with the uh, USDA, with EPA, uh, um, uh, with uh, certainly FDA, and then even uh, e even through the DEA to make sure that all of the boundaries of a legal crop that we build it. We build it on the ground. We stand it up. We've never been here before. So it's like soybeans were in 1959. We, we didn't have chemicals to use on soybeans when we first started. We, we went out and used the Santa Claus method. Ho, ho, ho. You know, and that's what the tobacco farmer, the hemp farmers having to do today. They're having to mechanically uh, uh, cultivate their crops, which causes soil erosion and other things. So we talked about some of those barriers. Certainly one of the things that I was promoting was USDA National Institute for Food and Agriculture funding for higher education for research opportunities for universities as we help build this crop. Well, tell us a bit about what you guys have going on at Murray State in this realm. Sure. We have a Center for Agriculture cultural hemp uh, that we just created in cooperation with some area industries. Uh, as we said, there's no government funding. So these industries have stepped up. They're coordinating through us. Our mission is simply to connect the dots between producers, between industry, between uh, between the the, uh, the processors, between the producers, uh, really on the education, government, policy, all those type things, uh, working with, the, uh, with promoting this industry. As we stand in the middle of uh, 2019, did you ever feel like we were going to get this far? Oh, man, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. we got a long way to go, but sometimes looking back in the rearview mirror, uh, we've got a glorious past to uphold, but, man, we got an exciting future to mold, too. So. Now, I know in the press conference portion of this today, Senator McConnell had kind of equated this stage to where he saw tobacco being when he came into the Senate. Do you, do you feel like that's fair? Sure. I grew up on a dark tobacco farm. My family's no longer farming dark tobacco. You know, it's the staple crop in our side of the state. Sure, there are some people that are still making a living off of that, but with the decline overall of the tobacco industry, this is another tool in the toolbox. This is another economic opportunity for our farmers, and I'm so glad. I said all my life uh, after I left the dark tobacco uh, field that there'd never be another 
another substitute for tobacco. This is the best darn chance we got. Yeah. And uh, depending on, you know, ask me next year. That's my favorite line. You know, when we ask somebody asks me how it's going to turn out, there's a lot of challenges. There's going to be a lot of ups. There's going to be a lot of downs. But there was with tobacco when we started it, too. Yeah. So, and that continues to be with that industry. So, farmers are used to ups and downs. Yeah. And I, now you mentioned, uh, ask me next year. Uh, one of the big takeaways today was uh, Secretary Purdue saying it, uh, that there will be some sort of guidance, some sort of regulatory guidance uh, prior to the 2020 planting season. Do you feel confident in that? Absolutely. I think they're going to come out with standards. Uh, we need standards. There's no standards between states or in the industry right now. We need some federal standards. That still gives the states the luxury to, to focus on what they need to be, whether it be fiber or seed or CBD or, or anything, a mix of the three. Uh, you know, I think they're going to come forward with those regulations. And uh, as Secretary Purdue said, they won't be perfect. They may not hit the bullseye, yeah. but they'll be on the target. Well, uh, Dr. Brennan, if folks want to know more about the work that you guys are doing there, where can they go to find out more? Hudson School of Agriculture, Murray State, the Center for Agricultural Hemp. Uh, you can, uh, we'll have a website up, uh, but you can go, go right now to the to uh, murraystate.edu slash AGR and pull up our website. Uh, my email certainly is on there as the dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture. we got a good cadre of people working with industry and professors working with the uh, development of this industry. And do check them out because they're doing just some groundbreaking work here. They really are on the cutting edge of uh, uh, the hemp industry. So, again, Dr. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Fast Line Fast Track. Absolutely. Thank you. Back on Fast Line Fast Track, we're here in Manning, Iowa at Puck Enterprises. And Puck is a liquid transfer company is serving the agriculture industry, but also serves the oil and gas, forestry, and mining industries, as well as municipalities. Uh, some of their ag offerings include manure application equipment, hose carts, water transfer pump units, control systems. And we're, we're here with Jeremy Puck, who's the general manager, and he's the son of Ben Puck, the president, CEO, and founder. And Jeremy, welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me here this morning. So uh, one of uh, a quote that I saw from you is, we don't just build it, we use it, we live it. Tell me about that quote and what that means to Puck Enterprises. So Puck Enterprises was built over the last 40 years of developing or finding a solution to do things in a faster, more efficient way. So why we build it, that means that came from the, the hard work and experience that dad's had over many years of how to do how do we do things faster and more efficiently. So we build the equipment here. We also run a custom application business. So we, we do the field service work and we build the equipment and with all that together, I mean, that's how we live it. All right, so you guys make hose carts, dual-purpose compact pumping, toolbars, swing pipe. Tell me about some of the specialized products and why people should look to you first when they're looking for applications in manure spreading. Sure. So that the egg side of our business is all built around how do we get to, how do we get liquid manure out of a pit or out of a lagoon from that site out to the field in a continuous manner. So our business is built around using lay flat hoses, hose reels that would roll the hose up to transfer and using diesel powered pump stations to move that liquid from point A to point B in the fastest, most effective way possible. And then ensuring that as we're injecting that manure into the ground, that we're using the latest technology to make sure we're putting the correct application rate on for the farmer. And part of your enterprise here is a company called Bulldog Hoses. Tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, so we're really excited. And last year, we got the opportunity to purchase a manufacturing facility uh, down in Raleigh, or just south of Raleigh, North Carolina, um, that manufactures the hoses that we've been using in our business for the past 25 years. So with the recent addition to Bulldog, we're now able to bring some higher quality, uh, some new technology into, into the hose business to better serve our customers and to help uh, support our application business. And we're here this week at a uh, open house that you guys are having for, for some of your, your customers. And one of the things that's really been turning heads is the control systems you guys offer. A real-time full pump control, the second to none in the ag industry, features side-by-side verification of flow and pressure from each unit. Tell us about Lightspeed and the benefits to consumers. So Lightspeed is a, a, a tele- telematic uh, control system that we build in-house in Sioux Falls at one of our l- remote sites. Um, that system allows you to real-time go to a web browser, securely log into your assets, and run any number of, of pump units, um, all from an internet browser or web connection. Uh, the previous art was we used to have to hire people to sit by all these pump units, so we've become a lot faster and more efficient by putting control systems on, on our pump units that allow you to access them and operate them from, from really anywhere in the world. And the service doesn't stop once you guys make a sale. Your parts direct program with the pump school and training videos is providing world-class support to your customers. Yep, so being able to help educate, uh, have our customers help educate us, and being able to make sure that we have all the parts and pieces uh, to them in the most uh, effective way possible is a, is a large part of our business. And we're, we're, we're um, continuously trying to, to get better at getting parts and pieces and service out to our customers across North America. And uh, something else I've seen you guys talk a lot about is being ethically driven and sustainably challenged. Tell me what it means to you to be a good corporate steward and a good ecological steward. Yeah, so some of the things that we talk about in business is uh, clean air and clean water. And our uh, the manure application side of our business, I mean, there's there's liquid manure all across North America that needs to get hauled and applied to the field correctly. And we want to make sure that we're being out in front of leading that charge and making sure that we are doing the right ethical things with the manure and getting it into the ground so the farmer can best utilize it for, for crop production. What drives you every day? What excites you the most about showing up and, and doing this business? What, excite, what excites me every day and why I love coming to work here is that we get to meet people from all across North America or even uh, outside of the country and we get to help them uh, find a solution to a problem or a challenge and then take that problem or challenge and either build equipment or adapt a, adapt equipment to help fit their solution. It's uh, very, very satisfying and rewarding to see somebody uh, purchase some of our equipment, use our equipment and say that is that I've never thought of that or I've never had that experience before. And we're, we're, that's what really gets me out of bed every day. What do you find being the biggest challenge? Our biggest challenge right now is, is figuring out how do we continue to evolve and innovate new products and new solutions to come to market to, to make sure that we're meeting the, the demand of, of customers all across North America in and being ready for whatever might happen next in the industry. So for our listeners, explain to them about the corporate culture here. How many employees do you guys have? Uh, some, some of the background that, that they might find interesting. <clears throat> some real quick history on Puck Enterprises. We start out as Puck Custom Enterprises, a liquid manure application business and a custom hay baling company. And that was all custom work that I that Ben uh, has done for, for many years. And in 2009, we started out on a manufacturing venture. We were developing some of our own products and we thought we had a good enough product to go to market. So from 2009, there were 13 of us when we essentially started a sales campaign to start selling some of our equipment. And I'm uh, very uh, happy to, to say we have just over 150 people uh, company-wide now. We have a location in Sioux Falls, 
uh, Dubuque, all of our main manufacturing comes out of the Manning, out of Western Iowa here, and then with the recent addition of uh, 60 employees down in North Carolina at Bulldog Hose Company also. So, so if folks want to know more about Puck Enterprises, where can they go to learn more? Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of us is you can look us up online at, at puck.com, or you can give us a phone call at 712-655-9200. We'd be happy to help and happy to talk to you. Yeah, and make sure you go check them out at Puck.com. And we've been speaking with Jeremy Puck, the general manager of Puck Enterprises. And, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fastline Fast Track. Thank you very much. And now back on Fastline Fast Track, we're here with Ben Puck, who's the president, CEO, and founder and namesake of Puck Enterprises. And, Ben, thank you for taking the time to join us here on your 40th anniversary. Thank you very, very much for coming down. Uh, it's been a long road, and... Uh, um, who would have ever guessed we'd been sitting here today 40 years ago? And as you drive up uh, through, through the cornfields here in this part of Iowa, then there's this beautiful facility that, that just jumps out at you. Uh, when you started this deal 40 years ago, could you ever have imagined uh, what, where you are as a company right now? No, I couldn't even imagine where we we're going to actually plan on having income for the, for the family in the following year. Uh, uh, put your head down and, and uh, keep pushing and uh, uh We've, we've been able to experience what uh, um, the effort of a lot of people, not only Kathy and I's, but a lot of people's effort uh, allows this to happen. So we've got a very, very strong community. We've got uh, a great work ethic in this area. And uh, everyone's kind of seeking this quality of life that, that includes uh, hard work and, and uh and reward. You guys in the uh, marketplace have seen a lot of downturns, upswings. What's been the key to the longevity over this 40-year period for you? Well, every morning, uh, um, livestock gets up and does their job, and it's our job to make sure it gets to the ground in the right place so we can make a fertilizer out of it to grow great crops. And uh, the redundancy of that is what's, uh, what's been the key to it. Um, Liquid application of manure has improved the soil quality, uh, water holding capacity of the of the soils, and uh, incorporation of it uh, from the days back when we really didn't regard it as a high value nutrient or, or some of those keys. Uh, the the swine manure has uh, so much more uh, bacteria that are favorable for cleaning water and nutrients to grow crops. Uh, the best place to do it is in Iowa obviously, or the Midwest. How much of this job for you is being an evangelist of that, uh, uh, of, of that? You, you know, so many people are, are thinking about chemicals, but, but there's so much value in manure. Uh, how much time do you spend just preaching those virtues? Right now, you know, it, it was fun to be able to create uh, the first parts of the, of the puzzle, which is the equipment to make it applicable. Um, that's what I thought that we were actually doing in the earlier years. And after being around this industry and seeing the liquid manure being used for 40 years, we have really changed and made a difference to the soil quality and health and uh, the yield um, benefit that we've seen in these crops. Uh, it's, been a, it's been absolutely a win-win. Unfortunately, uh, most people do not understand that yet. And uh, I spend a lot of my time trying to do our own research here on my own family farm um, as well as uh, other, others that will share their experiences with us. How has technology and innovation changed the game over, over the past few years for you? Uh, it's, it's changed immensely. Uh, we, we have now made it, basically made it very simple that 
you know, you, you take the amount of work that you have to do and you take it all the time that you have to do it. And we've come up with uh, very interesting ways to provide that information to people to make uh, an educated way to apply it. When you started the company, were you focused locally, regionally, or, or did you have a nationwide focus from the outset? Uh, no, I was just working for our neighbors who uh, had a need and I was able to fill it. And those neighbors told other neighbors. Um, we had started uh, to build a reputation to be able to be available and get it, get the work done. And uh, our staff here has done a fantastic job in um, allowing other people to have that hope as well in their own area. And that's, that's what really makes us um, across the Midwest and across the northern states one of the players in this industry, I believe. What drives you personally to keep going at this job? Uh, people say you can't do it. And uh, I don't understand that premise. And uh, um, opportunity is what drives me, which is the opportunity to uh, have people hired in our small town uh, to bring jobs back to uh, the Midwest, uh, to do something environmentally sound and something that allows our livestock industry to thrive. So we're just a small part of the puzzle. Where do you see the business heading from here? I think our business probably can head in multiple areas. Unfortunately, that uh, the rest of the world, there's probably, this is probably one of the best places on the face of the earth that utilize and understand this technology. And other countries around the world are yet to adopt and or understand um, uh, agriculture um, that can stand on its own with minimal subsidies or or safety nets. And so productivity is very, very key to it. And uh, when you go to other countries, when you go to, unfortunately, even some states in North America, you see, um, you see it being used or ignored. And uh, this phosphorus and nutrient needs to be spread on the ground to be used as a, as a food source to make the food that we eat um, or their animals eat more nutrient dense than than what uh, commercial fertilizer can actually provide. Do you see this brand becoming more of an international brand going forward? I think it could be. I, I really do. I think that uh, um, building an alliance with uh, folks that understand their culture and can properly apply it to their culture is, is going to be the key. I, I don't think that any one of us here can just say that uh, we could go to a place that we're unknown and be successful. I think that these ideas have to be adopted and, and, and be accepted. Uh, once they are, I think that there, that is where our opportunity can be, which is come in and add the rest of the pieces of their puzzle. Automation has changed so much of what you uh, do. When you started out, could you ever have imagined that, that it was going to play that big of a role? That's an incredible thing is that when you see today what we can do in a minute, it used to take, uh, well, for example, when I started, we, I could get about 6,000 gallons of liquid manure applied on one and a half acres of ground in an hour. Right now we can have, uh, in, an, in a minute and a half, I can apply 6,000 gallons of liquid manure. And so we have a multiple of about a 45% or 45 multitude of, of efficiency that we've built into the system. Well, Ben, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track and uh, want to just congratulate you on, on 40 incredible years and uh, wishing for 40 more and beyond. 
thank you very, very much. We're very flattered that you're here and that you can uh, take this message uh, out to the people who uh, care about our industry. Next up this week, we've stepped out of our hallowed confines at the legendary Ernest Tubb Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee, to head up Interstate 65 to Shepherdsville, Kentucky. There we caught up with bluegrass legend Gary Brewer at his Shepherdsville Music Barn, which throughout the year hosts many other bluegrass and traditional country legends. In the coming weeks, we'll bring you outtakes from a recent appearance by our friend John Schneider. Today, we want to focus on Grammy-nominated Gary Brewer and the Kentucky Ramblers, who are out on a world tour. Gary soon will celebrate 40 years in the music business and is sounding better than ever back on fast line fast track and we've got a special guest we didn't have to go very far for him he's uh, right essentially in our backyard just down the road he, uh, we're in buckner kentucky he is in shepherdsville kentucky uh, it's gary brewer of gary brewer and the kentucky ramblers gary thank you for taking the time to join us on fast line fast track yes sir glad to do it and appreciate you guys coming out tonight and one of the cool things about Gary, not only is he a uh, bluegrass virtuoso, but he's also a farmer. Yes, I am. We've got 200 acres there in West Point, and uh, we're uh, soybeans and corn. So like everybody, you're, uh, you're trying to catch up right now. Trying to play catch up. It's, uh, if I wasn't performing, I'd probably be even spraying today. So how do you balance that out, uh, performing and farming? It's tough. Uh, as a rule, not always, but as a rule, majority of our performing across the country is the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, basic weekends uh, like most entertainment. But uh, when we're touring, you know, it's pretty much every day. And then, of course, you got travel time. So uh, it's all hands on deck. We're, we're at home. And, uh, and then I've got some farming buddies, of course, too, at home so uh, that, uh, that we can help and lease with and and help us too. If we're touring heavy like next year, we're totally leased out. Uh, I'm leasing it all out uh, to our friends because I won't be home at all. That's my 40th year in the business, so we are booked from Canada to Europe to Japan to Mexico, to, and we're doing right now on the books. We've got about 42 states on the books for next year, so I'm not going to be home much yeah. for 2020. And 40 years in, you're going as strong as ever. A couple Grammy nominations this year, and boy, you're on fire. We've had a, uh, we've been very blessed. We, um, my dad's still with us, 81 years old, as you heard tonight, still singing great and, and uh, charming the folks and uh, stuff. Both of my sons, uh, Mason is uh, 18, uh, Wayne's 24, and uh, both of them uh, has been doing music and farming with me uh, since they've been alive. So um, uh, we go across the country in this rig here, and it's home away from home, you know. It's not bad. You can sit in Italian leather and when it's cool, and yeah. it's not bad. But it, it takes a lot of work to get where we're at. I've got over 50 CDs out now. I've uh, done all 50 states over and over in 18 countries in Europe. So, uh, uh, but bluegrass is just like farming it's it's its own little world uh people don't understand a lot of uh 
city folks that's never even been to a farm or, or maybe even had a personal garden. They don't understand the time vested that it takes and the care and the pride that goes into it. And it's the same way with our music and being proud of, of America, you know, that we still do that. And uh, uh, every meal that somebody eats, it comes from a farmer somewhere, yeah. you know. So we appreciate that in the same way we make our music. No computers, no uh, voice correctors, nothing like that. We keep it straight acoustic like that. And what we do with God-given talent that he gives is try to use that uh, and put it out to the people uh, as raw as we can, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's it's kind of organic to use that to tie the two things together, you know. And for those who are unfamiliar, your bluegrass lineage goes all the way back to the days of A.P. Carter and the Carter family. It sure does. My granddaddy, uh, Finley J. Brewer Sr., worked with the original Carter family band in the 20s. So a um, lot of things have uh, transpired since then uh, with our six generations, three generations on stage tonight, and uh, which is kind of unheard of nowadays, you know. But um, uh, back those early days of music was kind of like rural farming. Again, the tie together is uh, pretty apparent. They uh, didn't have venues like this here tonight to play. They didn't have, you know, big tour buses like ours to run in and things like that. You know, it's a major thing to go 100 miles in an old Model A or something, you know. And all they had was bean stringings and molasses boilings and maybe a dance or a pie supper. There, there wasn't venues like there is now. And then later, the Roaring Twenties came in and all, you know, all those things come along. But rural America is how I've made my living. So folks want to check out your music and more about your tour schedule, where do they go? They can uh, go to our, some of our social media or our websites, and uh, that is simply www.brewgrass, like brewer, B-R-E-W-G-R-A-S-S dot com. And then, of course, you can Facebook that and Twitter and all the other social media outlets there uh, with... Uh, and if they want to buy music, they can buy it on site. They can go to any of our digital partners, you know, Amazon, and every one of them has got it. So uh, we appreciate any patronage that way and uh, uh, stuff. We, we won't let you down. Well, go, uh, go check him out on the road this year. Go to the website, check out his tour schedule. And uh, Gary Brewer, we sure do appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track, and we look forward to catching up with you down the road. Sounds great. Thank you for being with us. And now we're proud to present to you the sounds of Gary Brewer and the Kentucky Ramblers live from the Shepherdsville Music Barn in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. With six generations of bluegrass, country, and old-time mountain music, please put your hands together for the voice of tradition, Gary Brewer and the Kentucky Ramblers. Thank you, folks. We'll see you next time. Hey, all right. Beautiful, beautiful. Now give me some more of this, Jen. There it is. All right, I think we're close.
Jackson City Blues That's what you get when the girl you love leaves you When you walk the floor both day and night for holes in both your shoes Then you got the Johnson City Blues banjo City boy get to Johnson City Blues Johnson City Blues That's what you get When the girl you love leaves you When you walk the floor Both day and night For holes in both your shoes Then you got the Johnson City Blues Then you got the Johnson City Thank you so much. Well, Jeff, since I'm paying this banjo player, I'd like to hear him. <laughs> well, I've got no coat, just a worn-out cap to keep my head from getting damp. Got the blues down in Kentucky. The blues, Lord, I got the Rambler blues. There it is. Y'all like that banjo? My hair won't come, my eyes can't see. Look here, baby, what you done to me? Got the blues. Down in Kentucky, got the blues, Lord, I got the Rambler blues. Blues. Lord, I got the Rambler blues. 
have a little mandolin picking, Mason. The old Ebenezer Scrooge. Mason Brewer there with a little bit of Ebenezer Scrooge and old Bill Monroe number and Cody Pyramid over there on the five-string banjo. Sounding great tonight, Cody. How many Johnny Cash fans we have with us tonight? Man. We're not going to do anything by him, but we just wanted to... Here's one I recorded back in the... Uh, sometime in the mid-80s. I was two years old. See you. 
Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Little man's are picking for you now, and uh, this young man can get the job done. He is uh, from down around Cecilia, Kentucky. And uh, I used to go rabbit hunting with my dad and papa when I was uh, a kid down there around, uh, around Cecilia. And he's got a good number picked out for you. Again, Cody, Cody Pilder. Cody, Cody. Cody Pierman. On that five string banjo now, would you? where I get a real big hand.
we're going to switch things up a little bit now. Wayne's going to grab the old-time fiddle. My granddaddy worked with the original Carter family back in the 20s. You folks remember the Carters, I guess, don't you? And uh, Wayne plays the old-time fiddle like my papa and does a great job with it. Another big hand from my oldest son, Wayne Brewer, would you? Unlucky Devil. That's the name of that song. Oh, I tell you, it sounded good tonight, Wayne. God bless you, brother. Appreciate well, it. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, we're pushing on time, so I'll tell you what. I'm going to uh, get this next fella to come out now, and I'll tell you what. For a long, long, long time now, from Roan Mountain, Tennessee, the head of Shell Creek, the tip top of the mine holler on the backside of Sawmill Hill, right up at the head of T-Berry. Yeah. A big yeah. hand for my daddy, Finley yeah. J. Brewer. Yeah. Girl, I've 
ever seen. Sparkling eyes, lips so sweet. Be back to love with Rome for me. Suitcase pack, one way ticket ain't coming back. Life's a pleasure, but love no dream. Down south in New Orleans. Down south in New Orleans, first little girl I've ever seen. Sparkling eyes, the lips so sweet. We make love to the rumble beat. Finley J, sounding good tonight, old bud. Here's Finn's big hit off of the two-time Grammy nominations we received this year. Big hand for my daddy again, Finley J. All right. Went riding out one dark and windy day Up on the ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once to mighty heard of red-eyed cows He saw no plowing through the ragged skies And up the cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel Their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath you could feel A boat up here went through him as they thundered through the sky Boy, saw the riders coming home, and he heard their mournful cry. Everybody help him now. Yippee-yi-yay, yippee-yi-yo. No riders in the sky. Said her, but they ain't caught him yet. Oh, they gotta ride forever on that range up in the sky. Old horses total fire. And the rider don't hear their cry. And the rider looked on by him, he heard one call his name. If you wanna save your soul from hell or riding on the range, then cowboy change your way today or with a shoe we'll ride. We'll try to get that devil turned. The ghost turned in the sky. That's Finley Brewer. 
He'll be back in a minute. We're going to turn Wayne loose and sing his big hit. And uh, this is a song he does a mighty good job with it here. Rosie Bouquet. There it is. Help. Thank you, folks. I've had this old Kentucky crud, they call it, here the last couple days. So anyway, we're going to uh, switch the show around a little bit. Dad's going to get the old-time banjo, as he said earlier. My great-grandfather, Pat Brewer, we called him, played with the original Carter family in the 1920s. We're going to recreate a little bit of that old-time mountain music for you here in a minute. We've got just a little bit of room out here in the front. We'll get uh, the ladies in the back to turn the uh, house lights on and... We want everybody to come up and dance a little bit. If you know how to dance, wonderful. And if you don't know how to dance, all the better. <laughs> so come up and uh, dance. Mason's going to come out and join you. And uh, we'll have a good time here tonight in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Have you had a good time so far tonight in Shepherdsville, Kentucky? Yeah. All right. We're going to do this one and uh, move up the road a little bit. As I mentioned, my granddaddy worked with the original Carter family in the 20s. There's six generations of us brewers. That's why we call it Brewgrass, because we predate Bill Monroe and Ralph Stanley. If you added them up, it still doesn't have a drop in the bucket to the time in our family. We're very proud of that. And uh, 
We're going to do you some. We like to keep this old-time mountain music alive because uh, there's not many people playing it anymore. So I hope you'll like it. And I'll tell you one thing. This will make your chiggers itch. All right?
the great bluegrass sounds of Gary Brewer and the Kentucky Ramblers. Be sure to check them out at brewgrass.com. And if you're in the market for farm equipment, make sure you make your first stop fastline.com. Check out the new price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Be sure to come back next time for the latest in ag industry news and great country music from the legendary Ernest Tubb Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee. Until then, it's Brent Adams thanking you for being a part of this episode of Fast Line Fast Track. Y'all come back and bring along a friend. Happy birthday, America. Listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastlineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites Fastline.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at Fastline.com.